on DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker. UFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Hello and a welcome to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2 as Coventry City shocked their local rivals Leicester to move into the Championship's playoff places. I thought the game was, was a brilliant game. I thought it was a great advert for the, for the Championship. Um, no quarter asked or given and um, I thought we started really well. Reading's game against Port Vale in League One was abandoned due to fans protesting on the pitch against the ownership of Dai Yong. We'll hear from Nick Holton, a spokesperson for the protest movement. I'd rather see the club get no sort of coverage and be run well than be struggling but getting such amazing coverage and support in, in, in that respect. And you'll hear exclusively from Cambridge United's new striker, Lyle Taylor, as he got off to the perfect start with a goal and an assist on debut. But he had his doubts on whether he'd get another chance. I did wonder if I'd scored my last goal um, last week before this all happened, this move happened and, and everything. And I was in the car and I was on my own and, and it wasn't nice to, to think I might never feel that again. Plenty of stories for me, Hugh Wizencroft and the former Ipswich striker Sam Parkin to sink our teeth into over the next hour. This is EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Sam, good afternoon, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, mate. Good to see you, Hugh. Yeah, it was one of those weekends. A few stories to come out. Managers having rants here and there. Some some nice stories too, but some big stories. We even have a managerial sacking to talk about today. So it was one of those weekends that offered up just about everything. So let's get straight into it. We'll start with Coventry City, who really we should have spoken about more often. So Coventry fans, I can only apologise because... It was one of those, well, it has been one of those seasons that kind of has mirrored last season, the slow start for Mark Robbins' side. They are now hurtling up the table. And this was a win to savour this weekend as well. Uh, Getting one up over your Midlands rivals, of course, in the shape of Leicester. Callum O'Hare scoring twice. His return has been very, very important, but he inspired Coventry City to come from behind and stun the leaders at home. Um, O'Hare cancelling out Kean and Dewsbury Hall's first half penalty. A little bit controversial, that one as well. Milan Van Iwick uh, then fired the Sky Blues in front. That was on 87 minutes before O'Hare wrapped up all three points with a second in injury time. Abdul Fatawi was sent off on the 45th minute for a lunge on Jake Bidwell. All of it meant that Coventry extended their unbeaten League and Cup run to nine games, handing Leicester only a fourth defeat of the season and ending their 10-game unbeaten run. Now, Coventry had only won once in 18 league meetings with Leicester. A 2-0 win in the days of Chris Coleman as Coventry boss back in February of 2008. So, as I say, really one to savour. The most important outcome that Coventry now sit in the playoff places thanks to a superior goal difference. Let's hear what their manager, Mark Robbins, had to say after the victory. He felt his side were always in control against the table toppers. I thought the game was, was a brilliant game. I thought it was a great advert for the, for the championship. Um, no quarter asked or given. And um, I thought we started really well. I thought we were really going to go. And when you have to against a side like that because they've got so much quality and speed... Um, both speed on the on the ground in terms of the physical side, but also speed of thought 
you know, and they've got the quality to deliver as well. So you're always stretched, you know, you're always feeling, but I thought I didn't feel like that. I thought we were okay. I thought we were always in control. Sam, what did you make of Mark Robbins' side uh, this weekend and that win? He, he says they're always in control. We can't say that about many teams against Leicester City. Do you agree with him? Yeah, I do. I thought they were, you know, the best side probably with uh, 11. And when um, uh, Leicester went down to, to to 10 as well. So, yeah, I thought it was um, a re- really composed performance. They kept knocking on the door. And Callum O'Hare, as he so often has since he's come back from, from injury, was kind of the difference maker. So, yeah, loads of similarities from last season, I think. Patience has been a bit of a virtue as well, allowing Mark Robbins, AD Vivash to to have a look at things. Uh, and now you could argue that the balance is is probably greater in their eleven than there was last season. You think about the reliance on um, Harmer and um, Jokeres last mm. year; they've got different ways to hurt you now. And this little change in the in the shape, which has freed up O'Hare and Sakamoto on the right hand side, has been brilliant. Casey Palmer coming back into form. They've got all of a sudden good options, mm. good forward players, banging form. And yeah, my last point: they've played Leicester now. They've played Middlesbrough away from home, Sunderland away from home, Leeds and Southampton in this unbeaten run. So it's not been against the lesser lights in yeah. the division. This has been against the heavyweights. I think they can do it. Hold on to a top six spot until the end of the season. It just looks hard to kind of breach that top five now. I know we're talking mm. about the top six. Um, so it looks like there's one p- place up for grabs. And we know in the championship, I mean, you look at the table, it's just Crazy. ridiculous. You could go, you could make a case for Swansea. You know, you could make a case <laughs> for Millwall. Um, what are they? They're yeah, seven, eight, eight points. points. Eight yeah, points out yeah, of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we know anything can happen. I just think the, the power of the, f- the top four is clearly very evident and then you got West Brom who you know I'm a big fan of the manager there and I think when they I think Jed Wallace is missing at the moment but when they get a full complement of players now DK's back as well yeah um they, they've got a strong squad I just I like the manager I think mm. you know they're they're almost a bit of a given to be in the playoff picture and Coventry Sunderland Watford Hull Middlesbrough Norwich and the list goes on maybe trying to get into one spot there, sixth place. It would be about 10 into one. So there is a long way to go. But um, yeah, I like the look of Mark Robbins' side and I think he's so important to it. You, you talk about, you know, liking the manager at West Brom. I think we all know what kind of qualities Carlos Corberan has. Tactically, we don't usually get a lot from him when he talks, but whenever you listen to Mark Robbins, you just get that sense of stability, calmness, someone who is likeable, but also you know, strong in terms of their outlook and, um, you know, his side over the last three or four years now has really mirrored him, you know, tough, you know, good times and bad times, you know, and that constant, I think, remains something that I think will be really positive for them moving forward. I I think they will make it. Mm. But um, like we we always say, it's a long old season, isn't it, in the EFL? Long way to go in terms of the automatic promotion picture as well. Ipswich still fighting. They are, they're almost my team of the weekend. I know it's your former side, but... Mm. People can talk about how great Ipswich have been throughout the course of the season. They finally hit a point where, for me, it's it's kind of boom or bust. Um, the results haven't been going their way over the last four or five games. Um, injuries aren't going exactly their way at this point in the season. And it's really a test of what are you made of now, I think, for that squad of players. You know, they're in League One. They didn't have that many tough periods. Obviously, it's a very different thing being at the top of the championship when we talk about the teams just behind them, Mm. a lot of them with Premier League quality. And so now I'm kind of looking at Ipswich and think, right, 
what are you made of? Really, what are you made of? And this weekend, actually, just the way that they are beginning to turn themselves from a free-flowing side, they still play great stuff, but to battle us a little bit. I'm actually loving mm. seeing that because, like I say, it's been a while since they've truly had to fight. It's just good to see that Kieran McKenna's side have it in them, beat Sunderland at the weekend, who are no mean feat. Yeah, the, the ability to win when you're not brilliantly free-flowing as they have been throughout the season, but there's probably reasons for that. They're they're a bit stretched. They're they're missing some 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 really big players. So it, it was a massive victory. I, I don't. You you always have pressure on you as a player because you want to go out there and do the best for yourself and and you want to do the best for the supporters that that travel and that will be the case for Ipswich um, lads at the moment going out there. I don't think there's pressure on them to maintain this. Honestly, I think the supporters are still pinching themselves to a degree that they're in this position. They would have taken mid-table consolidation this year. I don't feel there's massive pressure. The, 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 the players will be, you know, feeling a little bit of anxiety when they go out. That, that That's natural for, for every game, especially the magnitude of these games that are coming up, you know, away to Leicester a week tonight. I mean, what an incredible position to be in. Um, I actually believe that for the first time in a while, there'd be a bit of pressure on Leicester in that game. You know, they're, they're missing Ndidi, they're missing Vardy. Could be back next few few games. Ian Acho away. Fatou's going to be banned now. All of a sudden, you know, they could kind of do with a, with a victory. I, I'm not suggesting they're going to fall out of the automatic positions, but I think if Ipswich were to win that and cut the gap to, to four points, we could all of a sudden mm. open up another little battle. Genuine title race on once again, if that, mm. if that can happen. Um, yeah, I just, I, I wonder what to think about Ipswich moving forward, whether they can get back to what they were doing at the start of the season in terms of winning regularly. Mm. Do you think they have that kind of resolve in them? Like, it's good to see them end a five-match winless run here, mm. and even during that period, there was only one one defeat. So if that's the blip of a run during the whole season, it's not too bad, is it? It's not like you're losing games left, right and centre. However, do they have the energy left now to go on in the second half of the season, stay in top gear and get back to the team that was winning virtually every week? Or do you see them being a side that will be more two wins in four and a draw and a defeat maybe here or there? Mm. Well, it's only been one defeat in this recent yeah. little run. I think it's fair to say this bump in the, in the road, if I can call it that, has been you know down to um, the absence of some key players. I've been a massive fan of George Hurst. I think yeah. he's been fundamental to the way they, they try and play. There's kind of like four or five bullet points always in my, my mind when I'm talking about Ipswich. Leif Davis's role on the on the left. Connor Chaplin is kind of the, the right side in number 10 with the freedom to drop really deep. The the pace, the directness of what burns on the, on the right, the clever set pieces. Um, but George Hurst is so fundamental, I think, because he's very mobile. He's got the stature as well, but he can stretch teams behind. And they're obviously looking to kind of replicate that with, with Jackson uh, in that Sunderland game he's got a similar skill set but not of the calibre of her so they'll be in the market Hugh I'm, I'm sure to try and bring someone in but everyone's in the market and it's easier said than done to try and replace that that type of quality and performance that Hurst was providing so I, I think that would help them solidify the position whether they're going to be able to do it we'll have to wait and see my, my gut feeling is that Southampton aren't going to go away and this incredible run they're on, mm. uh, nature possibly will take its course if that's the uh, <laughs> if that's the terminology I'm looking for. I just think there's a not an inevitability, but mm. I just think Southampton's powers just come into the fore now, and and Ipswich maybe don't, but they they don't have that depth clearly.
we'll see what they can both do in the January transfer window as well, which could be that's, vitally that's important a big thing, yeah. in terms of the end of the season as well. We know Southampton directly in receipt of that Premier League parachute money. Ipswich with very good backers, as we know, but... Um, you know, will they get that Premier League quality to come down to the Championship? Either one of those two teams that could make the difference, we shall find out. Uh, by the way, plenty to discuss before the end of the show. Let me just mark your card up. Next, we'll be talking about what's going wrong at Blackburn Rovers. Worries mounting for Huddersfield. Uh, Queen's Park Rangers will get a little mention as well. We, of course, will be discussing Reading in League One. We'll hear from uh, Lyle Taylor, who returned with a goal for Cambridge. We'll talk about Peterborough's credentials as well at the top of League One and the sacking of Michael Flynn at Swindon. So plenty for us to discuss coming up here on EFL All Access, which is brought to you in conjunction uh, with McDonald's. Uh, order McDelivery on the McDonald's app and get tasty rewards points. It's 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. On DAB+, plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. <laughs> We are rolling on EFL All Access here on TalkSport 2. Thank you for being with us. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside the former Swindon and Luton striker Sam Parkin is here. Always good when we're, with, we're together, Sam, I think. Um, I try and bring the positivity, but as you know, people call me a negative Nelly and it's just... I've got, I, yeah. I've, got, I've got to live with the branding there. The thing is, I just I like to be a journalist. I've never got that vibe from you, and mate. That, that means that sometimes you just got to drill down to the big stories, you know, and... I'm work, sorry. Work me hard tonight, mate. Come on. <laughs> We've got to do Blackburn. And this is oh. one where I tried. This is why this is why I'm apologizing in advance. I've tried for a while now just to lay off Blackburn a little bit. They've got a young squad. They've got a very good manager. He's been quite open in trying to explain what he feels is going wrong over the last period of time. But you, you can't. I don't think now you can't ignore it anymore. Another defeat for Blackburn, this time away at West Brom. Lost four goals to one. It means since the start of December, Blackburn have won fewer points and lost more games, conceded more goals as well than any side in the championship. They've dropped to 18th. They've won just one of their last nine in the league. Uh, Sammy Smodic unavailable at the weekend. But the turn in form for them has been very, very concerning for Rovers fans. So I felt we had to talk about them. Mm. They've conceded two or more goals in 10 of their last 11 games. So is it as easy as reading into that stat defensively just not good enough? Or is there a bigger, wider mm. concern in terms of how they're playing? No, I think that's the biggest concern. Absolutely. They've conceded the most in the in the division now. They've surpassed um, Rotherham, which is, is some going. And... Um, yeah, I mean, about six weeks ago, they'd won four on the spin away from home. Now they've lost five consecutive games on the road and conceded three or more in each of those games. The goalkeeping issue continues to be a problem. I think even at the weekend, Wallstat possibly could have done better with, I think it was maybe the own goal that got given in the end, the Thomas Asante mm. was, was stretching for. So that's a big problem I don't think they've got someone probably good enough in, in reserve either I think Pears is the reserve goalkeeper so that's an issue but clearly defensively not good enough and going forward if you're being a bit pedantic 40% of their goals have been scored by Sammy Smodix who until this season was probably a very good attacking player number 10 probably not someone that was going to play every week down the middle and I know he hasn't done but what I'm getting at is Having lost Brereton Diaz in the summer, I don't think he's been appropriately replaced. I think the the fact that Ennis and 
Telelovic, the um, the two forwards that have been brought in, haven't scored a league goal between them, tells the story a little bit. The the blessing really is the cushion they've got over the bottom three. Well, I'll extend that to the bottom four and mm. put Huddersfield into that conversation as well. They've got some brilliantly talented young players, having lost Travis. How did that even happen, by the way? I, I, I Listen, I know mm. Ipswich have a bit of money. We spoke about it a little bit earlier on, and maybe Blackburn need a little bit of money, but his influence, yeah. his energy, mm. on the pitch, off the pitch, you know, losing a figure like that in your squad when you know that there's a lot of youngsters, I was left scratching my head. Yeah, maybe a business decision. He's been a bit in and out, hasn't he, the last yeah. the last few months. Um, and, there's, yeah, like I said, there's some, some brilliantly talented young players at that club. Garrett got a, a goal at the weekend. Mm. He's looked excellent when, when I've seen him. And, and when they're at it, and when they're, they're and that's the reason I think they'll be okay because I think they'll still pull, pull these performances out of the hat from time to time. But I think the reality is that they've made some mistakes in the transfer market that they haven't adequately replaced players, and there seems to be some kind of restrictions on on, on the yeah. budget there at the moment. So I think they'll be fine, but um, it's a slide that needs arresting because you know they were. They were close last year, weren't they? Yeah. They won that that game at, at Millwall. They thrilled us. I think it was the final game of the season. And um, we know on their day that he can be a... Well, he, they're a very well-coached side at the moment. Um, they're not defensively good enough and they're probably overly reliant on, on one guy to get them the goals at the other end. Let's talk about Huddersfield. You're not that worried about whether... Blackburn will go down. I wonder how you're feeling about the Terriers. Um, listen, it was Ian Foster's first league game in charge of Plymouth, by the way. It was a draw against Huddersfield, but it is the 11th time that uh, Huddersfield has failed to win at home. They've got the second worst home record, uh, just one place and four points clear of the relegation zone in 21st. Four points feels, to be honest, like a bit of a cushion at this point in time. But the Huddersfield town owner, Kevin Nagel, tweeted after the game, not good enough. He also said, when we hired Darren, we were going to give him... Uh, players to play the type of football he wants to. That's the kind of football we want. I think the fans want attack orientated. We just don't have those players. We're getting more. Mm. Will he get more time? That's the question because I think we all know fans can really trigger a football club into action mm. when they're unhappy and they don't seem very happy right now. I think we've spoken about U-turns quite a bit in the last mm. week or two. It's certainly a phrase that um, I muttered when we were talking Tony Mowbray last week at Birmingham. So, I mean, this would be incredible for them to change again. They can't change again, but three wins in 21, I think it is, t- tells the story. There's not been an upturn. Um, penny for the thoughts of Neil Warnock probably looking on now, probably going to bide his time another couple of months and he'll probably spring into action somewhere. Mm-hmm. But no, it's not good. But given the comments of the the owner here, he has to give him more time and he has to give him more players because I think they were hugely undercooked coming into the season. Um, they've brought in Matos from Chelsea who, who got off the bench a couple of times this season. Um, he's been a permanent fixture really so he'll add something you would imagine in, in the midfield and, and Bojan Radulovic wasn't available at the weekend, someone they brought in from the Finnish league but he's a centre forward and, and that's the area where Darren Moore certainly needs needs help when you're your centre-half Helic is your top goal scorer. Um, they're lacking, I would say, assets in the in the front position. So, needs a bit more time. Um, but absolutely, they're in, they're in the battle, I would say. Because if you look at that bottom four, 
Sheffield Wednesday are the team that were showing consistency. I know they lost mm. and lost badly at Southampton at the weekend, but out of the four, they're the ones that have shown signs of life. Huddersfield at the moment, definitely not. Blackburn, Queen's Park Rangers and Sheffield Wednesday in the next three games mm. for Huddersfield. So I think after that, we'll probably get an answer as to what Darren Moore's future might be. At Queen's Park Rangers under Marty Sifuentes, they made their change. I, I mean, they're not going to U-turn. I, I doubt they will, but it's an eighth home defeat of the season. They lost to Watford at the weekend. Seven games without a win, 23rd in the table, five points from safety. They face Millwall, Huddersfield and then Blackburn. So an important run as well for Marty Sifuentes. How important will those three games, do you think, be in particular to shaping the future? Yeah, hugely. Probably the same conversation to a degree about new signings. Um, but it's easier said than done this stage of the season. Um, Lyndon Dyke scored yesterday, ironically, but they need more firepower. They need Chris Willock to turn this malaise around again where he doesn't seem completely at it. I mean, the, the best performer was Sinclair Armstrong yesterday, but there's an, a bit of inevitability that he's going to be really good um, until that final little moment, until that final execution of the finish. And he, he just can't get that right at the moment. I, I'm not sure that's going to turn around. It hopefully will in time. I, I don't see him all of a sudden turning into a really good finisher, a really good goal scorer at the level. So he needs a little bit of help, but there's a, there's a vulnerability to QPR at the moment. I told you off air, Hugh, my brother texted me early part of the second half and said, Watford win this. Watford win this 2-0. It was 2-1 in, mm. in, in the end. But I, I was with him. Even with Watford going forward, even though QPR had chances, they looked a little bit more cohesive. Defensively, there's a huge vulnerability. I think the goalkeepers had a dip in form. As good as Livermore's goal was, the first one, I think a more informed, younger goalkeeper maybe gets across there and makes the save. So, after a brief upturn, they're back kind of where they were. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens in the next few weeks. But I don't want to see that there feels like there's an inevitability. But I, I can't see where they're going to start getting consistency and a string of results together from. We shall see some difficult times at the bottom of the championship. We'll be talking about the bottom of League One next. Reading on the agenda. You're listening to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. In partnership with McDonald's, you can order McDelivery on the McDonald's app and get tasty rewards points. It's 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. On DAB+, Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Bringing the positive vibes on EFL All Access. Hugh Wissencroft here alongside Sam Park in the former Swindon and Ipswich man. We've got to get to the big news of the weekend though in the EFL. Of course it concerns Reading. Their League One match against Port Vale abandoned after hundreds of home fans invaded the pitch in protest against their Chinese owner Dai Yong. Uh, the play was stopped in the 16th minute. That was despite Reading urging supporters to leave the pitch. We can probably take the music down now. I don't, I don't know necessarily if the Reading fans are going to be dancing around this story. So I'll, I'll, I'll put my sombre voice on just to let you know what the EFL have had to say about it this weekend. Thank you very much to our producer, Will. Um, the EFL saying that Dai Yong must either fund the club club adequately or make immediate arrangements to sell. The Chinese businessman fined a further £50,000 for failing to meet financial deadlines over wages. The EFL also said it will discuss the pitch invasion at a board meeting later this week. They say it has 
in recent months become increasingly clear that Mr. Dai Yong is no longer in a position or does not have the motivation to support the club financially as he did following the change of control back in 2017. The league will now consider all available options it has under the regulations and will have no hesitation in bringing further charges against Mr. Dai. In the meantime, and for the sake of the future of Reading FC, its staff, supporters and local community, we urge Mr. Dai to either fund the club adequately or make immediate arrangements to sell his majority shareholding to appropriate new owners so everyone can move forward with renewed optimism. So the EFL at least trying to put a positive spin on their very negative statement. But I think it needed to be strong, didn't it? Let's hear from a spokesperson for the sell before we die protest movement. I spoke to Reading supporter Nick Holton earlier today. Well, Nick, um, over 24 hours has passed now. We're a couple of days past the weekend. How are you feeling about it all now that you've seen some of the reaction to it from all quarters? Yeah, I mean, in general, from a Reading perspective, it's probably the lowest I've felt in the last sort of six months where things have, have really kicked on a bit with the demise of the club. Um, I mean, it's sad to see the fact we've had to run on the pitch and make sure the game's got abandoned. It's got to that point, that, that desperate feeling now, and uh, it's come from desperation. And uh, the reaction from it's been incredible. The support we've had as a football club from other fan bases, the media, uh, big names in sport. I mean, we've had Gary Neville, uh, Jeff Stelling, Alan Pardew, who was an ex-manager for Reading, uh, Alan Shearer, Gary Lineker. They've all come out and supported, supported the, uh, the fans here and the club. Um, I mean, the EFL have literally just released a statement uh, sort of standing with us, I guess, but obviously we need to see more from them. Um, but it's not a time for celebration. Like, yeah, it's had an effect, but we don't want to be in this position where we're doing that, if that makes sense. It's, uh, I'd rather have, see the club get no sort of coverage and be run well than be struggling, but getting such amazing coverage and support in, in, in that respect. Just tell me though, do you still feel it was the best way to achieve what you want to achieve? We got a reaction here, but I guess you're, there is a much bigger picture here of, actual change that you want to enact is this maybe just a step along the way of what could become even bigger forms of protest or do you feel like this is still something that is you know accurately the best way to achieve what you want personally and I think a lot of fans will agree now that I don't think Dai Young cares I, I don't think whatever we do he cares I think this was more anger and desperation to get support and sort of that, that traction and coverage it's got um, I don't think we can top that in the stadium anymore. I don't think there's anything more we can do that's bigger than that. I think if we take it further, it needs to go to the EFL, to DCMS, uh, to somewhere outside of the stadium that will hurt Mr. Dai. Um, I think it's pretty clear that he just doesn't care at all. Uh, you know, we did a massive march a few months ago and it was brilliant. A couple of thousand at least were involved there. Tennis balls have happened consistently for months now. It happened on Saturday. We did it in the first minute before, and the third minute, I think, before it people started running on the pitch anyway. But I don't think it's going to, anything will affect Dayong now. I think he, he's got to be forced to sell the club. I, that's the only way I can see us getting out of this mess at the moment. What about the EFL then? You mentioned them a little bit earlier on. Yeah. Um, if there are punishments from the EFL after what happened at the weekend, 
Would you deem that appropriate? I mean, a lot of clubs would expect it to happen. But then you look at the predicament that Reading's in, a financial punishment. Does that really help the football club? Points deductions. We've had many of those already. Um, games behind closed doors, for example, again, might massively impact the club financially when they're not really in the greatest position right now. So what do you expect them to do here when it comes to a reaction to the weekend? And then I guess maybe you can take me on to what you expect them to do about what's actually going on within the club. Yeah, I mean, there's no massive precedent here in terms of this happening before. I think Blackpool did it about eight years ago and they got a suspended three-point suspension. So hopefully the EFL will be understanding them, be lenient on that. And, and I'm sure they'll they'll find the club and uh, not that we've got the finances for it anyway. And I think Mr. Mr. Dye will probably ignore that anyway, like he's ignored every other fine he's been given from EFL. So um, we are due to meet VFL tomorrow um, to, to talk about the ongoings of, of the weekend and, and hopefully steps going forward. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll see what happens there. But I mean, we'll we'll plead uh, to have some leniency, I'm sure, and uh, see what happens. But I mean, points deductions anyway, we're used to it now. And I think if they give us another points deduction and it, it affects us, then, you know, it's better than doing that and fighting than not having a club and no points to deduct at all. So... It's something that had to be done and we'll have to take the punishment as much as we probably won't like it, whatever it is. I mean, even if it is a fine, it's not great. And as you said, financially, I don't think we can afford it anyway. Um, but it's the desperation we're at now and we just had to we had to go big on, on Saturday and uh, we'll take what's coming, but we'll we'll speak to VFL tomorrow and uh, and uh, try and work something out and hopefully they, they're understanding, I think. And uh, I think they, they should be. Now, what do you expect the EFL to try and do in, in terms of helping the football club when it comes to the ownership here? I mean, these are the people who rubber stamped Dayong in terms of his ownership. So wh where's your faith in terms of moving forward and coming to a, you know, a situation where we all agree on an outcome? Yeah, I mean, they've let so many poor owners into, into the English game over the last sort of 10, 10, 15 years now. And it's happening on a regular basis and they need to take accountability and, uh, stand up for the for the issues they put on to all these football clubs. And I know it's the individuals that own the clubs, but they need to be more stringent with these these tests. I mean, they, they released a statement about Mr. Dye uh, literally 10 minutes ago, I think, and uh, basically saying he's, he's not got the funds he did in 2017. So they're sort of saying he doesn't have the funds now, but when they checked him seven years ago, he, he, he did. But, I mean, the Premier League rejected Mr. Dye months before he took over at Reading for Hull City. And... Uh, why did the Premier League not let him in? But the EFL sort of thought it was okay. And uh, Mr. Dye's come in, he's gambled, he's got it wrong. And I think um, the EFL needs to do more now. I mean, they they have uh, recommended to an independent panel he gets expelled and uh, they the independent panel decided against that. And uh, they've mentioned that in a statement again today. And I think they need to push that again and they keep pushing that because we need to force the owner out. And that's what the EFL need to keep pushing to help us as well. And uh, we, they need more power, more power, whether it's with a regulator or, or through them, themselves, to oust poor ownership. There's got to be a level where they say, OK, you've got to go. Uh, you know, if it forces us into administration, so be it. And uh, it's probably the only way we can we can get a sale um, quickly, I think. Is administration the best thing then for Reading FC right now? I hate to say it, but probably is uh, I can't see a way out without it and uh, 
that's grim to even to even want administration, right? I mean, we nearly went into administration under the Russian owner Anton Zingarevich in 2014, I think it was, and uh, we just about stayed. We had to sell players to avoid the, the tax bill and administration. And then the tie ownership came in, who run us okay um, to an extent. But I mean, back then it was oh, we've avoided administration, brilliant. But now it's like okay, I think we need it to to see a way out, and it's it's horrible to think that. And if that that will mean relegation to League Two, which is which is awful. But I think that that could be the best the best way forward, taking the hit of a relegation again and starting again, run sustainably and, and rebuild. I mean, there's great foundations at Reading as it's a club that should be able to rise again with the right owner. Finally, then if there isn't an exit for Dayong. What are your fears over what might happen to the football club? And how do you intend to keep pushing this agenda if Dayong isn't removed? I think if if Dayong isn't removed, it could spell the end for Reading. Uh, I'm not sure how it works with liquidating in England. I don't think it's as simple as with his previous clubs in Belgium and, and China, uh, which was all sort of government run over there as well. And uh, I think they need to go into administration first. And I do think that I can't imagine there would be no interest for us at a pittance in administration. I mean, let's let's put Mike Ashley in as an, as an example. He, he loves a, a company in administration. So um, I, I do think that will be the case before we're liquidated. Um, but you never know. And it could always happen. Um, and he'll make things difficult, I'm sure. Uh, I do think that, um, I think going forward with pressure, we just need to keep pushing the EFL, DCMS and regulators. Um, we could always do more on the pitch. I mean, I'm sure tennis balls will continue. That's organic now with the fans, but he doesn't care. We will have to keep pushing and uh, try, try and uh, get him out and get new ownership in as soon as possible because it's it's becoming dire at the moment and we're going to be losing players uh, throughout the January window, I'm sure, on a cheap deal. Uh, they're going beyond uh, Mark Bowen's back and he's been sidelined, which is awful. Um, players' mental health, they've come in during the summer uh, looking at a project, a new project that Mark Bowen sold them and it's the opposite. And, you know, players like Charlie Savage, 20 years old, moved down, moved down south left his family, left his home, bought a place down here, and he's he's left in the lurch. He's been completely sidelined here, and it's uh, not great at all. Nick Colton there, the spokesperson for the Sell Before We Die protest movement. Um, listen, Sam Parkin alongside me, I know you're involved at Luton where there was extreme financial pressure. We all know what happened with the 30-point deduction and where it uh, led the club eventually into non-league. Um it must be incredibly hard for everyone inside the football club right now. You know, the fans are doing what they can to create pressure and they have support, as was mentioned there by Nick, from across the kind of football spectrum. OK, some people would say Port Vale's fans, you know, they didn't want to make the journey for the game mm. to be called off. But at the same time, they've been brilliant in terms of their support for the Reading fans and what they're trying to do. So credit to them as well. Um, but just, you know, in terms of your experience, what is it like having to go to work every day dealing with that amount of pressure? Mm. And it's not even really football pressure, it's financial pressure, it's above you completely. Yeah, I think when it becomes um, so um, vast, I suppose, the, the issues, the, the, the conversations um, that will be ongoing on matters away from the pitch, it, it, it can be quite disruptive, I think. And if we're talking about a squad which is 
it's just about you know hanging on in, in League One. Probably just about got enough quality, I would say, to to stay right now in the division. The recent results have been good. If I can, you know, just talk on the football front for a moment. But if there is going to be a fire sale, if the reality is these talented young players, the likes of Abbey and, and Holmes, that are, if we're led to believe, going to be sold at cut cut price uh, figures to to Luton Town potentially. I think that's the 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 rumor. Then, of course, I think it changes because at the moment the players will still have that motivation, that hope that the eleven can garner points on the pitch. I think when that goes, um, the unity can quickly be shredded in a dressing room. And that was my experience. I think when it became too much, too overbearing, too much going on off the pitch, that can have a, uh, a real negative effect on the on the players at the moment. I mean, if I can draw anything from that time at Luton... It, it's turned out well in the end, but I think they were very fortunate during all the heartache, all the years of hurt, all the points, penalties, the fines. Very fortunate they they got the, the fan-led consortium at, mm. at Luton. So my hope, I think, uh, with everyone else, is that this can be resolved with, with new ownership. Um, the problem is the legality of it all. I don't know how they displace this current owner unless he does it on, of his own accord. The bigger question for me sitting here is how was he allowed to to take over? How have they ended up in this predicament? And that opens the question to the independent regulator and how the fit and proper test um, was probably not done accordingly at well, some point it, in time. It's a weird thing. You know, we hear the statement from the EFL, you know, urging the person that they said... You know, they're allowed to come into the football club to sell because they currently don't have enough funds. But, you know, do they need a process where we talk about if someone comes in to buy a football club, we want to see if you've got the funds and the willingness to put those funds in for the next X amount of years, whether that's five, ten, even longer. And then what do we do about where that money sits? And that's that's going to be a question for the independent regular later, maybe the the... You know, thing that we've spoken about for so long in mm. football. Do do football clubs need to put an amount of money to one side? Owners, when they buy, that's almost uh, a deposit account, like we all do with our rentals. You know, here's a sum of money, which if anything goes wrong, you can use for this football mm. club. Roman Abramovich, when he took over Chelsea, this is a Premier League story, but four hundred million pounds was set to one side. Now, maybe he knew what might come one day when it comes to the political situation. I don't know, but there was that. Um, if you like, there was that thing to, to fall back on there in terms of the money. Do mm. we need that throughout football at obviously different scales for different football clubs down the pyramid? It's, it's a, yeah. Listen, we could talk about variations on it, but I think ultimately when we hear from the EFL tomorrow and in the future, we'll, we'll hopefully get an answer which will satisfy all parties. Who knows? Mike Ashley might be coming in for another football club because someone needs to save Reading. Um, it's getting a bit bleak at the moment to be perfectly honest anyway fingers crossed for those Reading fans they do have something positive to talk about moving forward let's move forward with something positive very quickly Sam and a, a feel good story from the weekend I saw and we thought we'd dive into Cambridge United brand new striker for them a man who knows the EFL all too well 33 year old striker Lyle Taylor knows where the net is and he showed it in Saturday's 2-1 victory over Fleetwood in League One he got off the mark on his debut only signed for the club on Friday morning it has though been an incredibly difficult period for the striker he said he even had doubts that he would ever get another chance I spoke to him earlier on have a listen Lyle thank you so much for joining us uh, the last few days must have been a bit wild for you. Signing for Cambridge on Friday, a goal and an assist on Saturday. How's it all been for you? Uh, it's been a whirlwind, to be honest. Uh, I trained on Thursday at Wickham 
Um, Thursday afternoon we trained. And I got back, had a shower, uh, got changed and everything, and I left the training ground. And I, I was going to the hotel to stay in Wickham to then train in Wickham on Friday. Uh, and I got a call and it was uh, last something might be happening. I was like, okay, all right. Uh, it might be Cambridge. All right, brilliant. And then I got another call saying it might not be on. And then there was another one. It might be back on. And then it was off. And then it was on. It was honestly, it was it was on and off so many times. It was just mad. Um, but it was that we. It wasn't on or off. It was just we were waiting for the conversations to be had. So it was it was kind of like a, a delaying conversations because people couldn't get hold of people, kind of thing. Um, but then it was done, uh, and that would have been I don't know maybe maybe five o'clock quarter past five and then the manager called me at uh eight o'clock quarter to eight something like that so it was it was pretty much done um it just hadn't been signed sealed and delivered kind of thing um so I then drove I was in Slough having friend uh, having food with a a friend of mine and I drove up to to Cambridge Stayed in the hotel, was up at the crack of dawn the next day to get in and get my medical, the medical side of things done um, and get everything signed. Because for me to then be involved on Saturday, it had to be done by, I think it's either 11.30 or 12 or something like that to be registered. Um, so we did all of that, got all of the paperwork done, which was a bit of a nightmare because I was getting dragged from pillar to post to do like the medical side of things and then sign paperwork and then some paperwork hadn't gone through right and I'd signed somewhere wrong. And it, honestly, it, it's, it's not like it used to be where you just sign on a piece of paper. Now everything is done over email um, on like DocuSign and things like that. So it is a nightmare. Uh, but it was done. Then I trained um, and then Saturday happened. So yeah, it was, the, the turnaround was, was just mad. It was mental how quick it was. Um, but it's done. Um, Saturday was brilliant. The reception I got from from the the, the Cambridge fans was was incredible. Um, so I can't thank them enough for that. And that was before I even scored. So I, I can't speak highly enough of, of the way they received me and, and thank them enough. Did you even get a chance to train with the rest of the Cambridge players before Saturday? Yeah, we trained on Friday morning. Um, we did team shape and, and just the usual Friday stuff, which isn't a great deal. It's more about the detail um, of of what we're going to do and what we're going to face rather than like throw everyone in small-sided games and everybody has a tear-up kind of thing. It wasn't that. It was um, a structured session of, well, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to play and, and that kind of thing. So it allowed me to see the manager work uh, literally off the bat, which was good. Um, and I had a, uh, I had a few conversations with him on uh, Friday and then Saturday as well before and after the game. Um, so yeah, the the boys were brilliant. They they took me they took me in. Obviously, didn't didn't have much time to 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 take me in, but they took me in, uh, welcomed me to the club, and and yeah, we we went straight to business. So that was I suppose maybe a good thing because it was it was just like a whirlwind. It was done here there and 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 gone kind of thing so that was that was brilliant there was there was no time really to think uh which obviously helped when you're when you're you're just literally in the door and playing football but yeah they, they the boys have been brilliant with me and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to a, a week of training this week 
things obviously didn't go exactly how you would have hoped during your time at Wickham. Only a short period of time, of course, at Wickham. Um, tell me what it felt like running back onto the pitch and scoring. I know you got an assist as well late on, but we know that you're made for goals. So you must have missed that feeling. You haven't scored since, what was it, April of 2022. How yeah, did it feel this weekend? 20, 20 odd months. It, there is no feeling that can replace the feeling of scoring a goal. There, there isn't. Um, I did wonder last week, to be honest with you, and, and I've only had this conversation with one person. Uh, I did wonder if I'd scored my last goal um, last week before this all happened, this move happened and, and everything. And that wasn't... A, honestly, I was driving. I was in the car and I was on my own and, and it wasn't nice to, to think... I might never feel that again. Um, and there's only a certain amount of people who would understand what I'm talking about. And and I understand that, that it might be difficult to kind of put that feeling into words to to somebody who hasn't been in the position, the, the fortunate position that I've found myself in throughout my career. Um, but as a goal scorer, as somebody who has kind of been bred to live on goals and to score goals. And, and that is what my life has basically been about for 15 years. As that person, to think that you might never score again is, I mean, it's harrowing, to be honest with you. It takes you to quite a, 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 a dark place. Um, so to hear that roar when I stepped out on the pitch was amazing. To score a goal, I mean, I've, I've seen the pictures and... and I can see the emotion and the relief on my own face. It's uh, it's strange. It's really strange. But then to 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 get an assist, a fortunate assist. I'm not going to lie. It was one of those cross shots. You go across the goal, and and somebody might get on the end of it. One of them. But we're taught to do that. So, and then to win the game and get three points was it, like that feeling is back. Um, and I've missed it. I've, I have missed it. I, I can't deny that. Um, it's, I suppose, everything I've worked more than, I don't know, maybe more than two-thirds of my life to, to feel that feeling, and I'm I'm glad I felt it again. I, I, I had missed it. Well, congratulations for that feeling. It's not just... Scoring goals that you're all about, you know, you've got to be out there to be able to do that in the first place. I mentioned you hadn't scored since April of 2022. Of course, before you joined Wickham, you missed a full season from May of 2022. Obviously, Nottingham Forest deemed they didn't need you for that period of time. What was that period on the sidelines like for you? Oh, it was brutal. Um, yeah, it was, it was really, really difficult. Uh, I had gone, I'd, I was back in at the club for pre-season. I went in and I trained in pre-season and I scored goals in pre-season. Um, I was on the bench for the first two games uh, of the season, uh, away at Newcastle and at home to West Ham. Uh, didn't get a look in. And I was kind of then... Basically, like we we don't want you. You can leave. Okay, no problem. So we agreed. Uh, we agreed 
to part ways, myself and the club. Um, and then somebody who worked at the club uh, doesn't work at the club now. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't the manager. It was it was in the hierarchy. Uh, decided that the the pay up that I was going to get wasn't acceptable. So pulled the plug on that after it had been agreed with him. Um, so that was tough. And then there was a move to Turkey that fell through um, because of a, uh, a, I suppose, a dodgy dealing, which wasn't on my behalf or, or my agent's behalf. It was it was from the other side. So that happened. Um, I trained on my own in the afternoons for three months, which was difficult uh, with a physio. Um, I got back in and around the squad for the World Cup period because we were obviously missed players and the numbers were low. Um, I trained one day with the under-21s before uh, I was supposed to play a game for a Turkish club to come and watch me play so they could see I was fit. And I broke my leg. Um, so that was a week before Christmas and that wasn't fantastic. Uh, so then I had three and a half months of, of rehab trying to get that fixed, which was which was, was difficult and quite a lonely place. Got back, managed to play and train with the 21s to the end of the season. And and I've got a massive thank you to 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 Joycey, uh Warren Joyce because he allowed me to come in with his group and allowed me to train and allowed me to play. So uh, that was that was really good. And then it was kind of the summer was right. Let's go and find a club, and that was virtually impossible. It was almost like nobody would touch me with a barge pole. It was it was like, well, you're now incapable. You're you're 33 years old you're too old and and that was what we were kind of met with and it wasn't I suppose it wasn't really a case of people saying well you we know you can't play football anymore we know you're useless we know you can't score goals it was more of well you're 33 so you are useless to us um football in the last few years has gone younger and younger and younger and I've I suppose I was kind of a victim of that and that's fine because that's the way the game's gone and, and and that's fine. But my whole thing with it was as a young striker, which I was, I learned from senior players. So the thing I always said to a lot of these clubs when the conversations were had was, who do you think the young strikers learn from? They don't learn from coaches or from, from uh, like the manager or from the director of football or an, an, an analyst or anything like that. They learn from senior players, how a senior player carries himself, how they conduct themselves in training, out of training, recovery strategies, how they are as a, a man in our game. And that was kind of the argument I had with a lot of people and, and they just didn't really care to listen. And that's fine because that's how football is. And I understand that, but there has to come a point where you go, right, something has to come up. And it just didn't. Every time a door opened, a door closed, and it, it was it was a really difficult period. Uh, I was then given the opportunity by Wickham to come in, which I'm massively thankful to, to, to Matt Bloomfield and to Wickham for, because nobody else was willing to give me that opportunity. Um and it allowed me to get back into the groove of things, training every day for, for two months. Um, and they said, 
we're not going to look to extend that contract. And I was like, no problem. That's fine. Thank you for everything you've given me. And now I've got to find somewhere where I'm supposed to be because that's the way I looked at it. Uh, and Neil Harris, who I say was a teammate once upon a time, he, he was a teammate. I mean, we played for the same club, but I was very much a reserves player. I was a young striker at 18, 19. So we weren't really teammates in that sense, uh, but we were both professional footballers at Millwall at the same time. So, uh, and and Chopper said, I, I, I want to bring you in. And to hear somebody wants to bring you in is is invaluable in football. Uh, somebody wants you. So as soon as that happened, it was like, yep, okay, let's get it done. And it was, I mean, it was done very quickly. Um, and yeah, I couldn't have, have wished for a better start. So now it's about head down graft and grind and 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 try and improve the the position we find ourselves in as a as a football club um and and try and build forward what's what's neil harris's message been for you it's been very simple uh he said i know who you are as a character he said i need you as a character he said i know you score goals and can score goals and I need you to score goals. He said, and I need you to have the, the I suppose, the arrogance of a striker, whereby it's, okay, I'm going to score goals. I'm coming in here and I've got a point to prove. Uh, and, and that's what he said. That's what he wants from me. And it's funny because I had a message from Lee Bowyer, who's obviously my my international manager and has managed me on two previous occasions. Um, and he said to me, he said, very simply, get your head down and work hard. That's it. Because everything else comes with that. If I work hard enough, the chances will come, the goals will come. Because that's in my nature, that's my job is to score goals. And, and all I need is chances to do that. So, I mean, it's, it's apt words from from one, a, a good striker who who played across the Football League in, in Neil Harris and, and two in a, I mean, talking about a, a very, very good uh, Premier League midfielder in, in Lee Bowyer. So I can't really ask for, for two better people to be trying to guide me in the right direction, even at the, the tender age of 33. Well, I was going to say, you don't look a day over 26, mate, so don't, don't <laughs> worry about it. Um, it's interesting you mention your age because you're into a particular stage of your career now. I said to my agent in the summer, I want to experience promotion one more time. Now, I've been fortunate enough to be part of promotion from League Two to League One, League One to the Championship and the Championship to the Premier League. So I've, I've been very fortunate and won non-league promotion under Danny Cowley. Uh, so I've been very fortunate in my career. I'd love to feel that again. But at the same time, I just want to enjoy football again. I haven't enjoyed football for too long now. And... The, the biggest and most important thing now at this stage of my career is to to kind of not sail off into the sunset with a, a, a bag full of good memories, but to kind of like compound everything I've done and just have like a few good, a few more good times, a few more really enjoyable times. And, and that's the most important thing. And that comes with, you don't enjoy losing. You don't enjoy relegation. So that means winning games, scoring goals and the holy grail of promo of promotion, whatever that might look like. So I'd love to feel that again. 
I might or might not be lucky enough to. I I, I don't know. That's that's uh, that's not going to be for me to decide at this point. Lyle Taylor there at now at Cambridge United, scoring and assisting at the weekend. You're listening to EFL All Access on Talksport Two in partnership with McDonald's. Order McDelivery on the McDonald's app. You'll get a tasty rewards point. Eighteen points. Excuse me, it's eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply, and we will discuss Swindon after this. Let's talk League Two, shall we, Sam? Uh, Swindon Town sacking manager Michael Flynn after just over eight months in charge following their 2-1 defeat by Crewe on Saturday. He was appointed in May of last year, signed a contract extension at the start of November to run until the summer of 2026. A club statement said the decision came as a result of amicable discussions. But Swindon are 15th in the table and they have won just three of their past 15 matches. They've lost 10 of those. They started the season with a run of nine league games unbeaten, but the results have faded since then. 54 goals conceded is the second worst total, joint second worst total of any club in the decision, in the division, excuse me. The team hampered by injuries uh, to first-team players. Uh, but after the loss to Crawley, Flynn said they had been at their bare bones. Two players were signed on Friday. Flynn indicating on Saturday that there was going to be more coming this week. I wonder if those players maybe have rethought things. <laughs> um, listen, what's your reaction to what's been happening at your former club, of course, and the decision to, to get rid of Mickey Flynn? Oh. Yeah, bit bit desperate, really. If you look at the last the, the last year, um, the, the, the changes in in managerial um, positions. Last year, I think there was three managers off the top of my head. Yeah, Scott Lindsay started, then then Jody Morris for a short period, then Mike Flynn t- took over. Um, there was shoots of recovery, I would say, hope of a of a good season early part. A lot of that down to the form of the front players. I think it was a real imbalanced squad at the start of the season and there's been a continuation of that theme really they're so short in in experienced defenders that's always been my takeaway when I've seen them live this year and that's not been remedied in this this window thus far so that's problematic and when you consider they've taken 30 goals and 12 assists away uh, Kemp and um, Young they were you know terrific I think they've been directly involved in 42 uh, one or the other of the 50 goals that Swindon have scored. So that's enormous and they have to be adequately replaced if Swindon are going to have any chance of climbing a table. The biggest issue here, though, is is clearly um, who's leading the, the managers, the, the hierarchy at the at the club. It's, um, it's not clear exactly what's going on, but there's problems there. People aren't singing from the same hymn sheets and I don't think ultimately... The biggest problem is with the manager. I think it's upstairs right now, and until that's until that's solved, um, until whatever's going on behind closed doors gets resolved, unfortunately, it's not going to be a successful team on the pitch. And I think that's where we are. I think that's where we are. I don't think this is a, a huge slight on Michael Flynn. I think he could have been more adaptable in the last few weeks. Of course, he could have probably inspired the team to do a little bit better during this this barren run of, of one win in eight games but I don't think he's the biggest problem at the, the club and I think that would be the uh, the feeling amongst the supporters it, right now Is it be careful what you wish for? In terms of a manager? Yeah in terms of changing managers now mm. you know because he is experienced he has had mm. success I know things aren't going great right now he's a strong character maybe that's what you need 
during the tough times. Swindon fans will probably tell me the football wasn't good enough. We're conceding too many goals. He is directly responsible for that. Mm. And yet you wonder who's going to come in, who's going to immediately improve that situation. I'd imagine having... Well, I've never been a football manager and I'd imagine it's one of the worst things that can possibly happen, um, what's happened to him this morning professionally. He might in time be relieved to be out of it, is my honest answer. Because I think he's working with one hand tied behind his back. And, you know, when you walk away from games that you've been covering and it's so obvious to me what the problem is and where he needs to strengthen... And if that's not forthcoming, then you're actually going out there as a manager trying to produce mm. results when you haven't got the hand. You haven't yeah, got the yeah. the cards to, to 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 win the hand, if you like. So I'll be interested to see where he he lands next because it hasn't gone well at Walsall and it hasn't gone well at Swindon. I think those are the facts, but I think there's there's definitely been mitigating circumstances here. And the, and the noise this afternoon, and I think it's been... One of the, the statements has been uh, not misleading, but there's been some confusion about one of the statements as to whether Gavin Gunning, who has come in in interim charge a couple of occasions, or certainly one occasion and got some favourable results, could be in charge for the rest of the season. This is a, a rookie who's been working in the, the background. He's been on the coaching staff, and I think he's been doing a, a job with the loans players most recently. He could be handed the reins until the end of the season. And this is... Again, a bit like some of the teams we were talking about in the championship. The only saving grace here is the buffer. Yeah, you know the buffer of points, which means that Swindon realistically aren't going to be in trouble. But if Swindon finish well down that table, we're talking about one of the worst finishes in the in the club's history, I believe. Yeah, which yeah. would be incredible given the the size of the club and the fan base at League Two level. Sam Parkin, thank you very much for being great company on EFL All Access. Remember, we've got live football coming up for you exclusively in the EFL this week here on TalkSport 2. Big game Friday night, Sunderland against Hull. All the build-up from 7 o'clock kickoff at 8pm on Saturday lunchtime, 12.30. At Russell Martin going back to Swansea with Southampton. Luke Williams, of course, at taking on the man who was his former head coach as he was assistant. So Swansea, Southampton, 12.30. Saturday, we'll have Norwich against West Brom at 3 o'clock. And on Sunday, uh, Leeds United taking on Preston, all exclusively here on TalkSport 2. And you can listen to this show every Monday from 6pm. If you miss any of it, you can go... Go back and listen to it as a podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Just search EFL All Access.